Hey, sisters, I am so excited for this interview today. We are talking about the basics of self-care, sleep, food, connection, like honestly, the stuff that goes right out the window when we move into motherhood. Becoming a mom really threw a wrench in my self-care routine, and I had to learn new and different ways to take care of myself and really work on letting go of a lot of my perfectionistic tendencies. So to all my mamas out there, I'm so excited for this interview with author and licensed mental health counselor, Corinne Crossley. Corinne recently dropped her incredible book, Self-Care for New Moms, Thriving Through the Postpartum Year. We talk about everything here, from intuitive eating as a new mom to the great formula versus breastfeeding debate, perfectionism, even postpartum sex. We cover it all. She dives into it even deeper in her book. Corinne works in Massachusetts and via telehealth, specializing in working with those struggling with disordered eating and body hatred. She's the mom of two kids, eight and five, and she's crazy for yoga, baking, and reading a page and a half of a fluffy novel before falling asleep at 9.15 p.m. This interview is a good one. You guys will glean so much. Mamas, get your pen and paper ready because you're going to want to take notes on this one. And even for those of you that aren't mamas, I know y'all have a lot on your plate too. And trying to integrate self-care into a crazy busy schedule can be a challenge. So I know that even if you're not in this phase of life yet or you may not ever choose to be in in the mama world, guess what? I still know there are wonderful things you guys can take away from this conversation with Corinne. Let's go ahead and dive in. Hey girl, you are so amazing and you possess this unique inner awesome that the world so desperately needs. And guess what? Your body size has nothing to do with that part of you. But I get it. I spent way too many years living in insecurity and I've spent the last decade working with women just like you who struggle with the same. And when it comes down to it, I think our amazingness becomes all too easily eclipsed by two things. Body bullying, which in turn impacts how we take care of our body and our health. Whether it's overeating, undereating, overexercise, not moving at all, moving from dieting to the anti-diet culture, girl, the pendulum just keeps swinging. I started this podcast because it's time to break up with body bullying and find a way to live balanced in your body. I'm Jess, body bully warrior, registered dietitian, and food freedom guru. I love talking about food and nutrition because I believe knowledge is power. And when we have knowledge and we know how to navigate that within our own body and our own story, we can be unstoppable. (laughs) If you're looking for more support, please email me at jessbrownrd at gmail.com. And I'd love to be in your corner personally and walk with you on your food freedom journey. Let's stop letting culture define health, beauty, and what we should and shouldn't eat so we can finally live free in our own body. Grab that cup of coffee or lace up those running shoes and let's dive in to today's show. Corinne, I am so excited that you're here and I am so excited to meet you. Um, You just had a book drop and a book launch week. You're coming off a big week. Coming off a big week, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pretty excited to be here. Well, I am really excited. I got, I was so fortunate. I got to read your book. Um, I read it last week, finished it this weekend the only thing I'm bummed about is I'm like, where was this book six years ago <laughs> when, right? when I was pregnant? <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. So before we dive into the book, though, um, just for everyone listening, tell me just a little bit about yourself and um, the work you do. Sure. So um, I'm a private practice psychotherapist um, out of the Boston area, um, technically Canton, which is a little outside of Boston. Um, and I have worked for, uh, myself working with folks with eating disorders, disordered eating, body hatred, you know, sort of like every stripe of that rainbow and spectrum 
for over a decade and I love the work um, and worked with moms before uh, I, I became a mom and, and loved working with moms, but it was only once I became a mom that I realized, oh, this is, this is a different thing altogether. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. I can totally relate to that too. I mean, um, there's, there's something about working with moms that I've always been drawn to, but it's like, you go through it and you're, you're like, okay, this is sleep deprivation is a whole nother level. It's feeling like my body is foreign. It is a game changer. It really is. So now you are working with, um, folks in private practice and then tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. Sure. So, you know, writing the book really came out of, you know, as I said, walking the walk and becoming a new mom and really living with the changes. And, you know, I had been trained and working with folks in intuitive eating and self-care for years before I had my baby. And I realized um, as I, as I could have used a little support, right? Like I, here I am this expert, quote unquote, right. <laughs> Helping people with intuitive eating. And I, and I, I'm a researcher. I, um, if there's something new, I want to book about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you find me, if you find a redhead in the corner of Barnes and Noble with like 12 books stacked, it's me. <laughs> and I'm anxious about something. <laughs> and so, I, um, I found myself wanting to go to those expert voices that I've always trusted and loved on intuitive eating and going to those and, and just finding like, oh, there's no section on moms here. Okay. I'm going to Google the book for intuitive eating for moms. Like it's not here. And then as I, you know, would Google things for moms, all of that was about losing the baby weight and all of that stuff that I just, you know, so diet culture And I was not willing to go there. It was against everything I believed in. And I thought, Mm -hmm. like, where is the middle way here? And if I'm struggling with this and trying to find my way, what are, you know, like the new mom who's never heard of intuitive eating? Right. Right. Yeah. You, the quote expert, like you said, it's if, if you're the one in the corner reading books, trying to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, that's so true. I've not thought much about that where, it's like, there's, it's all post baby, get your body back, right? Like go yeah. back to post pre-baby body, which you say in the book, isn't a thing, which I totally, it's agree not a with. thing. It's not a <laughs> it's thing. It's not real. <laughs> like your body will never be the same. That's like saying, go to like pre-puberty body, you know? Right. Right. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. And then one of the other things I, I love that you just said is, um, it does need to be specific for moms because intuitively we do things differently post baby. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. some of the stuff that like you talk about the basics and the foundation of self-care don't come intuitively when you're sleep deprived and you got a baby crying yeah. every two seconds. And yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Not anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> no. come intuitively anymore. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. That's the first thing that I loved is you talk about this foundation of self-care. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's so important to lay first and foremost before you do some of like the, the the nail appointments or the, you know, massages. I mean, that's all self-care. I just, I think I I have this client who does that where she's like, I got a massage this weekend. So I'm doing self-care and it's like, yes, that's important. But this foundation you talk about in your book is essential to do first. That's right. 
That's right. Yeah. I mean, also sort of the, the, the manicure piece too, it's, it's such a shorthand that we go to. Right. And also, you know, in, in, in talking about privilege, right. In terms of access to that, but also we can't go for a manicure every day. Like you don't need it every day. And self-care is a daily basis foundation that we need. It's not something we can postpone for another month until right. we can get in with some massage therapists. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I feel like it is so important because I think about um, Cheryl Ziegler's quote. Um, so Cheryl wrote uh, Mommy Burnout. And I knew as soon as I read this book, I have to interview this woman for my book and for the podcast um, that I have. And, and the quote that really resounds with me so much is motherhood is this job that we have that we can't quit. There's no quitting. There's, there's vacations, but there's no breaks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so this is not a sprint. This is an ultra marathon, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the only way through is to be taking care of ourselves very well, really, or as well as we can muster Mm -hmm. to keep going. Yes. Yes. And there's nothing about new parenthood that sets us up for that. Nothing. No, there's not. There's not. And I have to, I have to quote you now because one of my favorite quotes from your book is actually along the line of what you just said, which is motherhood is a marathon yet. We treat ourselves as anything but athletes. I mean, that just, Oh, that gave me chills. I'm a former athlete. So I think it spoke to my, you know, inner athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it is a job that we have to be able to sustain and come to every single day. And there are no breaks. Even if we take a, you know, a day off that mamahood wheel doesn't stop spinning. (laughs) That's right. That's right. What we call the, the, the emotional labor, the mental labor, right? Yes. We're always lifting in the back of our minds. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, My mom, she actually just came to visit and, you know, I've been out of the house for 20 years now and she's like, I still worry about you. Like I still lose sleep. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. We're always parenting. So this foundational self-care that you talk about, um, really highlights on like three basic things, Mm -hmm. which, um, can you go into a little bit of detail about those, that those three foundations that you help people lay? Sure. Um, so, you know, thinking about right, right from the introduction, right? Like I talk in the introduction about my own struggles, you know, well before uh, becoming a mama and that it was my own therapist who told me like, you need to eat, mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to sleep and you need to go out in the world. Mm-hmm. And they aren't the fix-alls, right? Like we're, they're not the things that like, oh, of course, like, well, I ate good nourishing meals today. I slept pretty well. And, you know, I saw my girlfriend, like I should be feeling fine, right? Like not always the case, but they at least set the foundation to hold us steady. And if not, then what else do we need? Right. And we might need some more support. So good. So good. Yeah. You had mentioned that like your therapist shared that with you and mm-hmm. they are so simple or quote simple. They're not right. simple. <laughs> They're not basic. Yeah. Basic. They're basic. That's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Um, but they are easily forgotten, especially in those first few weeks or months, year, the first full year of motherhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. Yeah. 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 So um, tell us a little bit more about just some of the struggles that you faced in becoming, um, or actually, no, I don't want to ask that one next. Sorry. That's okay. Pause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, why, Corinne, why do you think self-care, why is it so essential and it, it's so important for parents and moms, especially? Yeah. So, I mean, as we were saying about this, this foundational piece, it's really important and that we're not treating ourselves as athletes, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're ask, asking these um, pretty tremendous feats of ourselves. And also, um, you know, on top of that, in terms of, you know, as we sort of touched on new parenthood, there's nothing that sets us up for that, right? And so I think hormonally, there are pieces where we, we go into this override of like, my needs don't matter. It's all about the baby. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some really adaptive pieces to that where we're really honed in and we're really connected with our babies, hopefully not always, but mm-hmm. hopefully. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're really, you know, watching what, how much they're getting for intake and how much they're sleeping and et cetera. But really when we're making that the singular focus, we start to fall away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this, it really becomes necessary and sort of like a practice. And, and I would even say sometimes a non-intuitive practice, especially in that really early tendy, tender period, mm-hmm. we're just, it's not intuitive to check in. It's like, you know, has she eaten? Oh, okay. Then I'm fine. Like, oh wait, have have I eaten anything? I mean, like maybe <laughs> I'm not sure. Yes. And, and I had this moment and I, I had struggled, um, with infertility, um, with, to have my daughter. I didn't have secondary infertility with my son. who was very fortunate that way, mm-hmm. but I remember it was like the first time I was out with her and I had this moment where I was like, Oh, I don't have needs anymore. <laughs> and I, you know, like be, being an eating disorder therapist at like, thank God, like the therapist in the back of my head was like, Oh, sirens, <laughs> sirens, no, 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 no. Yes. Yeah. danger, danger, Corinne Crosley, yes. danger. <laughs> but I remember what a relief that was. Uh-huh. And I really connected with my clients in that way, because that's a struggle mm-hmm. when, when folks are recovering from eating disorders, a lot of the time you know, the eating disorder has made it about other people, their opinions, what they need. And then, you know, when I'm asking people to come into their bodies and sense their own experience and, and check in with their own needs, it's really hard. It's Mm -hmm. a really hard road for people at first. And so I kind of felt that relief of like, oh, I don't have needs. And I'm like, oh no, I know better than this. Yeah. Yeah. But that's sort of where our hormones take us in that early, early period. I, yes, I completely agree. And I think we see it a lot in the eating disorder population, but even in people who don't have eating disorders, it tends to get triggered when you have those hormonal shifts and the sleep deprivation. And, you know, it's just like, we go to that, oh, my needs don't matter because I've got to feed the baby. I've got to change right. the baby, you know, like I have, right. she, her needs or his needs are entirely dependent on me right now. Right. And so mine comes secondary. Right. Right. If at all, if at all, if yes. at all. Right. Yes. yes. And I think that's echoed in society, right. Mm-hmm. That never before in history have just the parents been so responsible for all of the things 
expectations yes. of the children, right? Yes. It is, we, and especially this year, right? Like I wrote this book before the pandemic oh, and, wow. and I just feel like the world tripled down on my message, it did. right? <laughs> that we are all of it now. And that's, that's actually, usually doesn't work for us that well. But I do think that's the message that we give moms so much of the time. And I really wanted this book to be counter-programming to that. Yeah. And it, it is. Well, and it's not sustainable. That's the thing. Like we might be able to white knuckle it for a while, but to sustain that is just, it's impossible. And that's where we see moms having, you know, nervous breakdowns, crying Mm -hmm. in the closets and, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and really losing themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 My brain went to, I thought of this, I have this client right now who, who's having that where she's in the closet crying um, because she's so overwhelmed and, you know, to get her to value her own needs is, is really challenging to like come to the place where she says, okay, I have to take care of myself and I need to put the energy into my own self-care or I cannot give back to my family. And so what would you say, I guess that would be my next question for you is what would you say to someone or a new mom that is feeling all that pressure from society? Like I have to do all these things for my family, for my babies. Um, and yet I still, now I need to do self-care. Like sometimes that can feel overwhelming. Like how do I fit that in? How do I do this? Yeah. It's another, it becomes another list item, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and that was a piece that I really didn't want the book to become. And I even say like, it's, you're going to have to pick a lane. It's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we can't do all the things we can't, you know, be doing like, okay, um, this is good, you know, like what I'm going to eat, this is how I'm going to get all the sleep in. I'm going to do my pelvic floor recovery, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? <laughs> do all the things, right? And that, um, you know, I might really just invite a really gentle, gentle idea, like, okay, I'm with you. This is so, so overwhelming. What do you think the tiniest, smallest three minute thing you can do today? is. And let's start small because the last thing we want to do is, is feed into that shame monster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, sort of, I'm sure you use this all the time too, Jess, but like the secret back door that I have to all recovery work, all self-care work, all the work that I do, because I work so much, um, with parents and with women, um, you know, the model, right. The model for kids. And Mm -hmm. also, you know, I actually often use their, their baby or their kid as the benchmark, right? Like, oh, so, you know, if, is this sort of how you would want to care or would you, or want your daughter cared for, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, would you want her in her parent, early parenthood to be, you know, prioritizing herself for zero to 30 seconds a day. Right. 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 Yeah. That one is a great one. I I do that one with body image all the time. It's like, you know, mom, you saying these things to your body about your body, would you, how would you respond if your daughter came to you and said, oh, my stomach's too fat. I hate my stomach, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. the thought is. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to see how quickly that turns. Yeah. You know, it's a dirty trick. It is. I know, but it works every time. Every time, every time. (laughs) Well, when I love that you talk about 
your book is filled with permission slips, like Mm -hmm. some permission to take the pressure off and be okay with letting go of the, some of the imperfection. Like I know for me, one of the things that, um, when I was pregnant and, uh, postpartum, I really struggled with breastfeeding. I'm a dietitian. Mm -hmm. I know all the things about why breastfeeding is needs to be done and should, should quote, should be done for a certain amount of time. Yes. And I felt, um, an immense amount of pressure. And I was working in this, I was working in corporate wellness at the time and, and had a private practice on the side, but I was with these women that were amazing. They breastfed for like one, even up to two or three years and did mm-hmm. a credible job. I went back to work, um, with my first, I was fortunate to be able to take quite a bit of time off. I took about three months, but my second, I went back after six weeks mm-hmm. and both times I was trying to pump and work mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. sleep deprived and mm-hmm. my husband was on call 24 seven. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he was working an insane amount of overtime. Um, and it was tough. And I remember yeah. sitting there, um, pumping in my office and just crying because I wasn't getting yep. any, uh, my milk supply was dwindling, you know, and I had comments from the peanut gallery, like, Oh, maybe, maybe it's cause you're losing weight too fast. Are you eating yeah. enough? You know, trying yeah. to fix it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it was really, really challenging. And, you know, Oh, did you eat this food? You know, are you taking these stuff? Right, right. Like, yes, yes. I'm doing all the things, but it's still like good <laughs> enough, you know? That's right. That's and right. Yeah. I'll never forget. I had this doctor, I took my son, he had um, some kidney stuff and I took him to see the, the nephrologist and they, he asked how long have you been breastfeeding? And I told him, and this was um, my first, I was only able to breastfeed for about three and a half months. Mm-hmm. And I said three and a half months and I said it and I had all this shame, you know, like, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. responded, he said, good for you, mama. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And I kind of went, wait, what? And he yeah. goes, three and a half months. That's great. Good for you. That's He's great. like, if you did a yeah. day, great. If you yeah. did one time, great. Good for you. Yeah. And it was this, this validation of like, it is good enough. Whatever yeah. I did is good enough. And mm-hmm. like, you have a lot of that. And in your breastfeeding chapter, you know, I loved it. You said foods to avoid while well, breastfeeding poison, <laughs> poison, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no poison. <laughs> Don't. But other than that, it's like, take the pressure and the expectations off and know that what you are doing is good enough. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I really felt strongly about that chapter. I mean, when I was approached to, to write the, the book in this way, because it, the book definitely evolved because I wanted to read a book, write a book about intuitive eating and the book through the publisher evolved into mm. all these, these different um, aspects. And I was so passionate about the breastfeeding chapter, even though I, I only had my, my story and my sister's story to write about because um, just the struggle and the shame mm-hmm. and the mommy wars about it, it's so awful and unproductive and unnecessary, right? Mm-hmm. We, we live um, in a place and time of privilege for so many of us, we can feed our babies. That is what's important. (laughs) Yes. That's it. That's it. If you can do it with your body. Awesome. If you can do it with bottles. Awesome. Like (laughs) that's it. That's all. That's all that's necessary. That is a message that is so needed. And you know, that kind of goes into the next thing I know we were going to talk about was the good enough and this idea of being good enough. And I really resonated with it, obviously in the breastfeeding chapter, because that was one of my struggles, but I think every mom has her own 
struggle yes. in finding this idea of good enough. So tell me a little bit more about how you um, talk about this in the book, sure. being good enough. Sure. I love good enough. I love good enough. So I first learned about good enough um, when I was in grad school to become a therapist. And it wasn't just about um, uh, childhood development, which of course we learn a little bit about, but um, it was really about teaching us how to be good enough therapists <laughs> so oh, that, cool. we were, that we were deriving ourselves and our clients bananas. Um, but the idea with good enough comes from um, uh, a theorist uh, named Winnicott, Donald Winnicott, and you can Google him. And um, he sort of his heyday was in the 40s. And during that time, um, it really was sort of this groundswell of like blaming the mother, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, psychology and psychiatry was really sort of starting to gain momentum. And we were like getting so good at blaming mothers. Oh. And um, Winnicott was uh, a pediatrician and he was what they called a child analyst. Mm -hmm. And he actually sat with parents and moms. And um, I think that's what made him different because in that time there was so much mansplaining going on. Mm -hmm. And if you dig into who was doing it then, not only were they not mothers, a lot of them weren't parents. <laughs> Like, what? Uh, so anyway, Winnicott saw how hard the job of motherhood was. Mm -hmm. And he ended up coining this phrase of the ordinary devoted mother. Okay. <laughs> um, and it really is an extraordinary title. And basically what he said was, you know what? The world is an imperfect place you're not supposed to be perfect. Mm -hmm. That doesn't actually prepare your child for the world. If you're perfect, if you're on top of every need, that's actually not going to help them tolerate mm -hmm. when, you know, they can't get something right away or a need isn't taken care of right away. And so the idea is do your best. Mm -hmm. Good enough is perfect. Well, in some ways he's saying that good enough is better right. because you're, you're not doing your kids any favors by teaching them perfection. I like, right. I love, may I read a couple sentences oh, out of your yes. book? Is that all right? I yeah. loved this part. <laughs> and I think this resonates with a lot of the community I work with because so much of it is I'm not blank enough, whatever, right. whether it's pertaining right. to motherhood or career or um, fertility, like whatever it is, mm -hmm. it's like, mm -hmm. I'm not blank enough. And so I think this is applicable, like very much in motherhood, but across the board, um, you said, because the world is a complex, imperfect place, our children need to see us make mistakes and embody imperfection. Kids should neither expect perfectionism from others nor themselves. Pursuing perfection is a setup for disappointment and resentment. Allowing ourselves to be imperfect creates opportunity for us to be present and resilient. And the reason I loved that so much was because at the end you said, and resilient and mm -hmm. that, and you know, in the work we do, resiliency is, is crucial and mm -hmm. survival at its mm -hmm. finest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I loved that because this idea and concept of good enough really is not what I think like the, the perfectionist would feel is like a failure rather it's rising above that perfection 
and finding resiliency in the imperfection. Yeah. Yeah. It's work. It's work though. It is. <laughs> it's it really is. hard. It is. So how do you walk your clients here? I mean, how do you help them overcome this perfectionism? Because it is so loud and the pressure is loud. It's so loud. I mean, I, <laughs> one of my favorite things to do with clients when this is coming up because we're so, it's such a blind spot for us. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in fact, um, you know, one of my favorite sort of, uh, interchanges that often comes up in my practice is this idea of perfectionism is usually the biggest surprise to the person. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because they feel like they're failing or that they're right on the edge of failure. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll sort of say, um, you know, do you, do you think this, that there might be a little bit of perfectionism, you know, activating here? No, no. I feel like I'm messing up all the time. (laughs) Yes, Yes. because you're shooting for a (laughs) perfect, right? That is perfectionism. (laughs) Yes. If you feel like you consistently can't make the mark or that you can barely make it and sustain it, it's a good indicator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's your, that is your light and Simon right there. (laughs) Yes. And so first we laugh about it. And, Mm -hmm. and I know that that sounds like very kind of like Pollyannish, but it, what I think that does is we're creating some flexibility, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If we're rigid, cause perfectionism, like the stock and trade of it is rigidity, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why it's so dangerous. And, um, working with clients with eating disorders is like, we can feel that rigidity. There's not a lot of movement when we're able to hold it a little bit gentler and with some humor, it creates a little bit of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that creates some willingness, some willingness to try on the idea of good enough and okay, like, well, what would that be like? And, and how would that be to be good enough? Mm -hmm. And how would I tolerate messing up and really like getting it wrong and having to backtrack and try again? Um, but it's work, it's work every day. It's work for me every day. And, you know, I own that too. Like, Hey man, (laughs) <laughs> I, I actually have, I was thinking through the interview this morning and I was thinking, you know, I'm not perfect at good enough either. I'm like, oh my God, there it is. <laughs> that sentence, like <laughs> that's, that needs to be a shirt. I'm not perfect at good I'm enough. I'm not perfect at good enough yet. I was like, I was out for a run and going through it. And I actually like started cracking up and I was like, <laughs> okay, there it is right there. Right. Right there, Corinne. Oh, that's great. There. Oh, so good. So good. Do you mind sharing a little bit about where you struggled with this good enough concept in your own life? Sure. So this morning, right? (laughs) Right. Right there. Case in point. (laughs) Case in point. But my postpartum year with my son was so, was, I mean, this was the thing for me. It was so hard. And really what that was at the heart of it was I really came into becoming a mom to my daughter, you know, eight years ago in a a really curious space. And I had that flexibility, but then once I had done it and I was so proud of how I had done it with her that I didn't realize the investment that I had Mm -hmm. in doing it that certain way. And so when he came along, I just figured, Oh, I'll just do it again. Right. And it was so different. 
And I say that to my, to my second time, third time, whatever, you know, moms, I'm like, it's a game changer. It's a different thing. Mm -hmm. And we need to be really gentle and curious with that. And I just wasn't gentle and curious with myself that year. I, I had a really hard time. And so the, the example I use in the book is, you know, with my daughter, I had this time and this sense of adventure where I made all her baby food. I roll, right? Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It was, and it was fun and I loved it. And of course, like I got off a little bit on like, oh my God, you're so good. And she has cauliflower and like, (laughs) right. And I'm like, yes, yes. Oh no. I just love to cook. And then I started, you know, I just felt in a different place with my son. Mm-hmm. I was more irritable and I was more tired and I just didn't like who I was at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I just forced myself to walk all the paces that I had walked with my daughter, that if I just did those, mm-hmm. that he would feel loved, that he wouldn't feel this difference that only I felt. He didn't feel the difference. Right. I felt the difference. I knew it. And so I got really bound up in this and I really look back, especially through writing this book on that year. And I was present with him. Um, You know, there wasn't a piece where I, you know, was disconnected, but I was, I was angry a lot of the time. I, I struggled Yeah. and I just couldn't settle into good enough. And it took a long time before I was able to, and my heart breaks for that period. And so that I'm so emphatic about it with parents that I needed to do less and have that be good enough. And I just, I really struggled with it. It's, it almost sounds like you went into motherhood initially with that very like curious, like you said, curious mindset, kind of go with the flow. I'm going to enjoy this process, but that laid an expectation for the second baby. That's right. Where even like, even though it was a gift in the first space, it, the expectation was there in the second space and That's or right. second round. Yeah. Yeah. Man, what a struggle. But I love it. Sounds like you've recognized it. And what's really beautiful, I think, about that story is you've found the empathy for it and now found ways to help other moms not have to go through such a lonely time where it yeah. feels like you know, I'm not good enough. And I, you know, who do we don't talk to people when we feel that way because we're embarrassed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that isolation is so dangerous Mm -hmm. for, for shame. And, and particularly, I mean, that alchemy of of the shame and the isolation and hormones, which are fluctuating, like (laughs) nursing or not, we are in this hormonal stew And so when we're not honest about it, also, we're just reinforcing all of those Mm -hmm. totally unmeetable expectations, right? That we wouldn't have these blips. And so, you know, for me also writing this book and talking to this village of experts, these women who are like foremost in their fields, incredibly brilliant, super educated. And I have to tell you, Jess, like it like filled my heart every time. And it broke my heart at the same time when I was doing um, podcasts and recording with all of these experts, I had this question that was my favorite question. I would say, if you could meet yourself in your postpartum year, what would you want to offer yourself? And every single expert 
would have this moment. There would, it would, there would be silence on the line and they would go, (sighs) (laughs) wow. And they would, you you could hear the emotion Mm -hmm. and there would be these like brilliant, smart women who'd be like, you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So good. And it would, and just to be with them in that, I was like, yes, because not only are we saying this to all these moms, but like, it's okay that I wasn't okay too, because they weren't okay either. Nobody was, nobody Nobody was. (laughs) It's a struggle. I mean, it is a struggle and acknowledging that that is part of it. I think is really validating to ourselves, to the clients we work with, to our friends, to everyone that it's a struggle. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So good. Yeah. And I, I love that you're talking about, you know, you're having these conversations with experts and clients, like it's all the same conversation. Yeah. Um, but yet a lot of us miss it. I actually, I had a girlfriend text me yesterday um, asking about, uh, foods that support hormonal balance postpartum yeah. because she's like, my libido is low. And yeah. I, I just kind of said, first of all, I just want to validate <laughs> that that's normal <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. going through some like changes in your libido postpartum is normal. And right. Right. to like put the same expectation on yourself again, like you said, the, the pre-baby version mm-hmm. of yourself that mm-hmm. you're going to be that way right after you have a baby is, is just not realistic. It's not realistic. And I mean, that's why, you know, talking with Sarah Swafford in, in the um, postpartum sex chapter, I mean, she was just remarkable. And, you know, this idea that um, sexual issues postpartum are the norm, right? Like yes. that sentence, please print it on a t-shirt. Let everyone know because (laughs) you feel so much shame. Right. Yes. And we might talk about it in terms of like our pelvic floor, maybe, or how we're healing. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about like desire so much or, you know, what we need or how much time we probably need, how much connection we need. And I felt, you know, like it wasn't something that was on my radar. And then when I started writing this chapter, I just like got super fired up and loved writing that chapter. And then actually like, as I was going through my editor's comments, that was the only chat, you know, like everything was like a comma and like a, like a cross out or a strike through whatever. And then she, (laughs) she had like one part on the postpartum sex chapter and she was like, Hell yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that is one that needs to be talked about. Yeah. And the desire piece. I mean, you talk about a lot of, um, you know, I don't know if you felt this way, or I'm sure you've heard it with the people you've worked with where it's not wanting to be touched, right. you know, by, by even their husband or their spouse, because it, it's like that, that overload of right. I'm being touched all the time. And it's like, and And I think even like the transition of our culture tells us like women's bodies are sexual and that now it's being used for a purpose. Like now my breasts are breastfeeding objects instead of sexual objects. Like it's a huge transition. It's a huge transition. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with. It's so confusing, right? Like, well, what am I like it? Well, okay. It's like 6 30 PM. So I'm the the feeding vessel, but then it's like nine 30. So I'm the sexual, right? (laughs) And it's so, and, and for us to like, just seamlessly figure that out, it's completely unrealistic Mm -hmm. and completely absurd. 
and on top of that, you know, I, I share in the book, I just had this hormonal experience that, um, you know, if my husband like even came near my breastfeeding breast and he would be like, well, I'm not. And I'd be like, I just want you to know that I know you're being super respectful, but if you come by that area of my body, like it makes me for a second, want to break your nose. <laughs> yes, you I should love just that. know. <laughs> And he's like, but I don't, I'm like, but I just want to share this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I like. That's how strong it is. That's how I feel. So we called it the Statham, the Jason Statham. Like, I loved that. I love that. And I think so many women relate to that. And again, it's not, but nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. It's like, we're supposed to resume. I love that the feeding vessel and then the sexual vessel, like we're, (laughs) and then where do we fit? Right. Right. And what we want. And on top of sleep deprivation. Now, um, yeah, I loved that chapter. I could see how your editor was like, hell yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, I do want to touch on like the intuitive eating piece. Um, cause that's a lot of what, uh, we talk about here on this podcast and this platform. Um, obviously I'm a dietitian, so that's mm-hmm. my main role, but, um, I do love how you approached it in this, in your book where it isn't necessarily intuitive and we're going to have to do a little extra work to um, find ways to take care of our body from that nourishment standpoint. Can you um, just expand a little bit about how intuitive eating fits in that postpartum year? Yeah. And, and in motherhood period, right? And, yes. Right. <laughs> and beyond. And beyond. <laughs> just like from ages zero to 18. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost is is cultivating that trust, right? Like as women, we are, are so, you know, as people, humans, Americans, we're so saturated in the diet culture Mm -hmm. and this idea of, you know, overcoming our signals that we're supposed to, we're supposed to have certain signals and not have certain signals. And just that idea of like, trust, trusting your body, Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not it makes sense that you're hungry again. Okay. I'm hungry. What do I need to do about it? Mm-hmm. So trust and listening, I think are such a big piece and, and really, you know, pulling away from that diet culture where it's really gonna, I mean, it's going to be so easy for you to Google in a second, like the diet to lose mm-hmm. the baby weight, right? Mm-hmm. It's so much more work to be like, I don't know. I don't know how hungry I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece, you know, to circle back to the good enough, right. To know we're not going to do it perfect. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are going to settle where they're going to settle and we're going to feed them as we can. And we're going to be exhausted and there's going to be a baby screaming and we're going to be hungry at the same time. And we're going to do our best. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's okay to do our best. And that will set us up in the long game that we're talking about, um, you know, overriding the signals, making them go quiet may feel like it gives us control, but that is a short game piece and it only snaps back, right? That elastic, I always explain to clients like, okay, it may feel like you have control. It may feel great to hold it nice and tight, right? But guess where elastics go? Mm Mm-hmm. They snap right back. So good. So good. Yes. And I think I love the, the high, I want to highlight the removal of like the pressure to lose 
weight. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things and what puts so, it just, it, it completely eclipses our ability to read our own signals is this pressure of like, I've got to get back to my, my pants that fit, you know, my clothes that fit. And I tell moms, and this is no, this is not in the research. You let me know if you, if you have a scientific study that you know about this, but I think it takes like four years. Interesting. Okay. This is my theory. And this is just based on working with people and my own personal experience, but I think it takes up to four years for you to, um, feel almost like yourself again Mm. and for Mm -hmm. hormones to rebalance, like my hair, I lost that ring of hair. You know what I'm yes. talking about? Yes. Like, and then it comes back in. I used like, to call it the wolf man when it's like, yes. Half. yes. Yeah. And that didn't, that did not um, go back to, and it didn't even really go back. I mean, my hair is a different texture and color yeah. Yeah. and, yeah. but it, it, you know, it did start to grow, but it took like four years. And that was probably yeah. when I started sleeping a little bit more. Um, <laughs> and so there was probably that element too. And right, so I think right. there's, this pressure though, of like, I have to get back and control my body to be back in the pre-baby clothes within a year. Like there's kind of that, right. I hear that year mark a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's us. And that's us being good to ourselves, right? Like that's us saying like, Oh, nine months on nine months off. It, no, 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 no. Right. I remember, I remember my mom saying that like, Oh, it takes, remember it takes a while to gain the weight. And she wasn't saying this to me, but I was like, I was a child and sort of understanding, Oh, this person has the baby, but like, you know, like I was like 12 and like not understanding like, well, she still looks pregnant. Well, it takes, you know, a while. And in this absurdity of where we're supposed to be Mm -hmm. after weight wise. And again, not only that, but I also, you know, I also think about the experience of my clients who don't have babies, but are in the refeeding process. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and sort of what the body does in refeeding, you know, like sort of where the, the, the weight might begin and then redistribute. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and we have such absurd ideas about what the body does. Yes. And it's, it's just crazy. And it's, our ideas about how our bodies work, especially in terms of taking in fuel to use the, the podcast, right? I like it. (laughs) Taking in fuel and then what it does with it. We have such a broken understanding and relationship with that. And, and we turn that volume up so much higher in the postpartum era and, and, and those few years after too. Yes, absolutely. We, I talk a lot on here about accepting like the dynamic nature of our bodies and appreciating Mm -hmm. how dynamic we are. Mm -hmm. And like to add what to you, what you said, yeah, I think what's broken is we, we miss that dynamic nature and we don't appreciate what that means and the story that tells, like I I talked last week on the podcast, um, I guess when this one airs, it'll be two weeks ago, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) it about this woman I'm working with whose daughter was going through eating disorder recovery. And Mm -hmm. she actually gained weight during that process because she was eating with her daughter and we had this breakthrough. So I, I work with mom and I know daughter through the clinic and, we had this breakthrough with mom where she suddenly yeah. realized, you know, she said, Jess, I always hear you talking about how dynamic our bodies are and how they change and to appreciate it. And it suddenly dawned on me that 
in this instant, in this season of my life, like that dynamic nature that showed up in terms of weight gain in supporting my, was a, like a service to my daughter, okay. you know? Yeah. And she's like, I would never change that. Yeah. I wouldn't, I would gain a million pounds if it meant I got right. to walk with my daughter in her journey of recovery okay. and yeah. really like, yeah, post-pregnancy, there is no, I think our body is in one of the most dynamic stages, but again, it's like going back to what's happening in the story behind that dynamic. I need another word by besides dynamic, <laughs> but mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. how it's changing is beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Entire culture steals that yeah. from us, which really ticks me off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I could get even saltier about that, <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and not only that diet culture piece, but everything's so bonkers that I think we're also just looking for that control. Mm-hmm. And, and I really think so much of that, like super reductive, you know, like say it with me, let's all like stick a finger in our eye while we say it, um, calories in calories out absurdity, right. Yeah. Is the effort to make it simple. And, you know, the thing that I say to clients over and over, I'm like, we still don't know. There's still so much to understand Mm -hmm. about the intersection between the body and movement and hormones and fuel. And we make it so reductive because we want it to be that simple Mm -hmm. and it just isn't. If you want to go down that road, this is where we're going to be. Right. But if we want to begin to accept and, and appreciate how I like the word dynamic and multifaceted, right? There we go. I like that one too. Yep. Yeah. Then, then we're coming into the reality of what bodies are and actually do. Well, and then that goes back to the intuitive eating piece, which is like learning to read your body's own signals rather than trying to, you know, see what the latest Instagram influencer recommended right. for postpartum fuel, right. <laughs> but exactly. Rather, exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. There, um, the, the pandemic piece, which I, I actually think it's really cool that this came out, like you said, d- after the pandemic and when we're yeah. in this, well, not after we're still in it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as we're, we're moving, we're beginning to surface. Yeah. 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 As we're moving yeah. kind of in a new direction, but, um, you just made me think about one of the quotes that like I got me through this. Um, cause I have kids and I'm working at home. Kids are home. Mm-hmm. It's just, a, it was a lot. Um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I heard this quote that said, uh, I don't remember who told me this, but it, it was amazing. It said, people are juggling a lot of balls right now. You have to know which mm-hmm. balls are glass and which ones are plastic and Ooh, pick up the plastic ones later, let them yeah. drop. Yeah. And I loved that. And I think when it comes to like feeding ourselves postpartum and just self-care in general, postpartum, it's like, you're, we're juggling a lot in the air and Mm -hmm. we have to know which ones like are the things to focus on and which are okay. Letting go for now. We can pick them up later when, when, and if we want to. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful. I really like that. Yeah. It saved me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Well, I am Corinne. I am so excited about your book. I know, um, 
my sister actually right now is in her, uh, she just had her third baby girl. Oh, and wow. yes, Congratulations. thank you there. She's so, um, she's, she's awesome. But I told her about your book already and she's like, can I get it? And I said, I don't, I'm not sharing it. You got to go buy it yourself. <laughs> I want this to reference for when I have clients coming in. I mean, you can see for all you listening, I've got like a hundred little sticky notes on here, tabbing all the things I, I loved and I want to make sure I can reference. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing work that you're doing. And I'm so grateful you did write this book because there, there is a hole and there was a need and you filled that. I'm really, really grateful for the work that you've done. Thank you, Jess. Thank you so much for um, getting the word out. That's, that's the big deal. Let's get the word out to those moms who, um, who think good enough is not enough. Yes. <laughs> Which is, I think 99.9% yes. of all moms. <laughs> yes. With companion t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still not perfect at good enough. Right. <laughs> Now, if they want to connect with you, I know you're on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle, Corinne? Um, Mindful Eating Moms. Mindful Eating Moms. Um, you have an awesome podcast. Thank you. So the Mama Bites podcast is a lot of fun. And you can actually, you know, hear a lot of the interviews that I did for the book um, on oh, cool. the podcast. So, you know, uh, the audiobook isn't out yet, but that's sort of one way to kind of like excerpt chapters, right? Um, and you get to hear the voices of the experts themselves, which is really wonderful. Um, and also, you know, more, I, there's also a lot more on intuitive eating, um, as well. Cause that is my first love still. That's awesome. That's mm -hmm. awesome. There needs to be more of those people out there spreading that good word. So I'm grateful yes. you're doing that, uh, specifically in the mama field. We've got links to all of the above that you just listed in the show notes so people can find you. Um, I'm so grateful for you being here today and, uh, good luck with the rest of your book launch. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. This has been great. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope it strengthened your food journey and empowered you to live boldly in your body. Real quick, sister, before you go, if you liked today's episode, please head on over to iTunes, Fuel Her Awesome Podcast, leave a review, and subscribe. Ladies, can you imagine how much better our world would be if women everywhere were free from diet culture and misguided nutrition advice? and have the ability to step into their full potential, sign me up for that world. If you have a girlfriend in mind that you know is amazing, but she's held back by food, body, or diet culture hangups, please join the mission and share this episode on your social media. Don't forget to tag me at JessBrownRD. And if you're looking for more support, I would love to be in your corner. Be sure to check out my e-course, Fuel Her Awesome Food Foundations. Guys, this is a seven-module course with over 10 hours of work, so many things for you to download to really help you lay this sustainable healthy foundational relationship with food and then I'd also love to walk with you personally email me at jessbrownrd at gmail.com and I'd love to shoot you over my coaching menu cannot wait to chat with you babes next time until then cheers and happy eating